turn, if you would, to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. And while you're turning there, we will have a word of prayer. 1 Peter 5. Heavenly Father God, when we consider your power, your majesty, your greatness, Lord, all we can do is just fall down before you and praise you and, and honor you and glory in you. And Lord, we would, we would ultimately tremble before you in utter fear and terror because we as unholy people dwell before a holy God. And if that was the end, there'd be no hope. But you sent your son into the world to save sinners. You, the holy God, the majestic king of the universe, sent your son into the world to rescue sinners and to make them into worshipers of God, to deliver them from idols, to deliver them from idolatry and, and, and worshiping other stuff and making themselves their own gods, little G, you've delivered people out of darkness into your marvelous light. And I just pray that as we get into 1 Peter, as we think about 1 Peter together, that the Spirit of the Lord would just open our hearts and I'm sensing my need this morning to depend on you, to trust in you, to look to you. And I pray, Father, that all of us would do that right now in our hearts, that we would be looking to the Lord, that we would be coming to you, praying to you, asking for a fresh work of God among us. And I pray that the Spirit of God would anoint this time. And as we get into your word, that we would be helped and encouraged, and strengthened, and sustained. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit, blow upon your church. Amen. So you'll remember last week we were talking about seeking God. We're talking about us in this series that we started, seeking God as a church, what does it mean? What does it look like as a church to be a people who seek God? And in the midst of hard times, in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of intense suffering, the people of God always awaken to their need for God. And whether it be Old Testament Israel or the New Testament church, the people of God acknowledging their need for God happens when a fresh work of the Spirit stirs the heart, opens our eyes to see beauty and glory and help in God through Christ. And we looked at last week, we looked at 2 Chronicles 714 and I want to kind of this this is kind of like that verse that's going to be a banner over this whole series and second chronicles 7 verse 14 says and this is God speaking 
to Solomon and Israel, reminding them what he would do, his heart towards Israel. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name, God is talking to believers there. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. That part, that reality. If my people humble themselves and seek my face, God says, I will meet them. And I will heal them. And we're going to look at it from 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter, Peter is writing in the midst of abysmal conditions in the early church. Persecution is, is running rampant. There's an overall sense that Christians are just considered kind of these outmoded sort of uh, religious zealots. There's a, there's a religious climate that sees them as as, you know, kind of like out of touch. And so they're getting persecution on all these different fronts. And then even Rome and the Roman emperor would begin to want to blame Christians for all the evils that are going on. He actually, Emperor Nero, would burn down uh, part of the city of Rome and he would need a scapegoat, so he blamed it on the Christians. So there was intense persecution going on in Peter's day. And he's writing to the church to give them encouragement and hope in the midst of real suffering. And Peter knows what it means to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is Peter, right? This is the rock, you know. Jesus said, you know, you're all going to forsake me to his disciples. You remember that? And, and, and all of the disciples are looking at each other. And Peter's like, I'm not going to forsake you. Lord, I'm not going to forsake you. Nobody's going to touch you when the rock is around, right? Nobody's going to touch you when Peter's here. And he looks at Peter and he says, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. You will have forsaken me. And Peter would learn what it means to humble himself before the mighty hand of God. He would learn what it means. In the book of Acts, in chapter 12, we read that intense persecution came upon the church. James is killed and Peter is thrown into jail. And what does the church do? They get all proud hearted and they're like, we'll just do it. You know, we'll, 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 we'll kind of uh, create some kind of, you know, commando deal where we go break him out of jail. No, the church doesn't do that. The church begins to pray earnestly for Peter and they bow their hearts before God and they cry out, Lord, do something, save him. And God brings an angel. And delivers Peter with a mighty hand. Peter was no stranger to this reality. So we're going to look in chapter 5 together. And we're going to see a vision of humility unfolded. And 
I want to read just the first 10 verses of this chapter. We'll, we'll be focusing on verses 6 through 11 or 6 through 10. But I want you to observe as we're reading through it, God calls humble shepherds to lead the church underneath the chief shepherd. So they humble themselves under the chief shepherd and lead willingly and eagerly and with a, a, a exemplary, humble life. And then Peter calls the church to live humbly toward one another and, and, and calls us and summons us to a vision of humility that breaks out in the church. But, and the church humbles itself before God and that humility is expressed towards one another. And we'll see that as we read through. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, this is Peter talking, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge. That's like proud-hearted leadership, right? But rather being examples to the flock. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Then he says, likewise, you who are younger, so he's talking to younger folk in the church, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves all of you, now it's the whole church, with humility towards one another. For why? For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Because why? Because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter just floors us with a vision of humility in the early church. He's calling forth humble leaders and humble people. And we're going to see that he, he is reminding us of this principle that kind of is the hinge on that verse. Verses 1 through 4, humble pastors under the chief shepherd. And then verses 5 through 11 is a humble church under the mighty hand of God living by faith. And this hinge that we see in verse 5 is God opposes the proud... And he gives grace to the humble. 
God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I was just thinking about that, and, and it struck me. It's, it's so easy for us to be self-reliant, isn't it? It's so easy for us to kind of go on our own steam. It's so easy for us to probably come into church or come into a place of worship. Our heart is cold. Our heart is distant. It's far from the Lord. We're thinking about a thousand other things. We're thinking about what we got to do this week. We're thinking about all this stuff that we've got to do. And we've forgotten to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And so Peter is going to graciously encourage us and help us in, in four different ways. He's going to help us to see what it means to humble ourselves before God and to see a humility that leads to exaltation. And then he's going to show us that we need to depend on God in dependent, fervent prayer, casting our anxieties upon him. And then he's going to say, hey, wake up to the fight that you're in. You're in a spiritual battle. You got an adversary, the devil. He's prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. And then he's going to say, resist him firm in the face. Stand firm. I mean, you want like a, a blueprint to live godly in our day and age? That's it. That's what Peter is after. He's trying to put steel in your spine, humility in your soul, and a joy for God that lives for King Jesus in the midst of hard times. And brothers and sisters, if we're real, we are living in increasingly harder times. We're living in times where there's adversity and an adversarial stance towards Christianity and towards Christians. So just being a Christian is outmoded today. Just standing for biblical truth is something that's mocked and maligned. Just, just to be able to stand on realities that the Bible is proclaiming, there's a sense in which people will mock that. And so Christianity will be increasingly in the crosshairs when it comes to bioethical issues, when we deal with pro-life issues and, 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 and the reality of the rampant abortion that goes on, or when we think about what it means to be a, a boy or a girl or, 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 or a man and a woman. What does it mean to be a man? The Bible tells us. What does it mean to be a woman? This is stuff that's just right in our face. And the world is increasingly hostile. And Peter's going to help us navigate that. So, first thing we see is humility before God. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Do you see that? It's right there. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. So He's telling the church to put yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility is 
Submission to God. Humility is a posture of the heart that comes low before the Lord. If you're thinking about it, there's a, a word that's kind of a spatial category. Put yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's the idea. It's not like God's got his thumb on you. The idea is that the mighty hand of God works for his people. And when you put yourself under the hand of the Lord, what's he doing? He's carrying you. He's helping you. He's coming to you. He's meeting with you. When you acknowledge your need for him, you get grace. You get more grace, verse 5 says, because God gives grace to the humble. And what is grace? Grace is divine favor and blessing and help. And surely in the midst of a hostile world filled with persecution, filled with animosity towards Christians, filled with the effects of the curse and dealing with pandemics and dealing with hostility, when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, He meets us in that. And He gives you the grace that you need. And the reality that Peter is also getting at is pride is looming under the surface of every one of our hearts. Everyone in here has a pride problem. I have a pride problem. I am prone to do it my own way. I am prone to go my own way. I'm prone to want to do what Peter wants to do instead of submitting myself to God. And that's why 2 Chronicles 7.14 is so important. If my people, if the people of God, if the people at Smithfield Baptist Church will humble themselves and seek my face, will come under my mighty hand, they will see the grace of God break in and begin to do glorious things. And it's once we admit we have pride problems, we get help. It's once we admit that sort of self-sufficiency that I'm just going to do it all on my own. And we're going to see that anxiety will crush us if we don't know how to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Anxiety will beat you down to the ground and you will see what it's like to put all of that on your back. And you were never meant to carry it, brothers and sisters. He who is mighty, who has done a great thing, taken on flesh and conquered death's sting, came into the world, born among us, born humble. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He humbled Himself, taking on the form of a servant and dying on a cross so that He might give you life. Do you see that humility actually leads to life? That humility leads to exaltation. Jesus not only showed the way, He is the way. He is the way for you to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. He shows up in this passage. He's the chief shepherd that all under shepherds like Pastor Peter are supposed to submit to. And every one of us is supposed to submit to him too. And oh, what glorious things will begin to happen in your soul when you submit your life to Christ. And perhaps... God has ordered your life in such a way 
that you have come to a point where you are beginning to discover what it means to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. So it's like Peter saying, are you struggling with persecution? Are you struggling with suffering? It's not like, like, you know, Peter's writing to a church who's just going through it. And we might be tempted to just dismiss Peter and say, you are so out of touch. How can you talk like this? You're talking about humbling myself when I'm hurting, when I'm beat up. And maybe you're there too. You're like, you're going to talk about humbling yourself, pastor. I am beat down. And I can barely get out of bed in the morning. Oh, hear the words of verse 6 again. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that what? At the proper time, He may exalt you. He's reminding you, dear Christian. He's reminding you, dear believer, that one day He will lift you up. You will not be brought low by suffering forever. You will not be brought low by your failures forever. You will not be brought low by sin forever. One day He will exalt you. And that language is glory language. That language is one day your suffering will be swallowed up in glory. At the proper time. That's the forward-looking, humble reality of a soul submitted to God, kneeling before the Lord, your God, your Maker. And there's power in that, brothers and sisters. There's power in that kind of life. Because that's the kind of life that endures the adversity and suffering in this world. And if you are just trying to do it all on your own, it may be revealing that you are trying to be your own God. It may be revealing that you have not submitted to God, but your heart... Your heart is either distant or hard or trying to do things mechanically on your own and it's not working. You're coming up against a wall. But oh, what happens in the heart when you begin to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God? Maybe you're here today and your heart is hard towards God. You're blaming God perhaps for the struggles in your life. But really, those struggles are coming from you going it your own way. I did it my way, that famous song. I'm going to do it my way. But when we begin to get a whiff of James chapter 4 and verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. When you get a whiff of what it means to be under God's mighty hand, then you begin to hear the echoes of the Exodus story in the book of Exodus. What does God say to His people in Egypt? What does He say to Moses in the burning bush? But this, He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. There's that language. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt and all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, He will let you go. 
You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. You want to know who God is? He's the God who's in the business of saving His people from their sins and saving His people from oppression and saving His people from suffering and saving His people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And do you want that God at work in your life? Oh, church, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. And perhaps if you don't know Jesus, submit your life to God today and watch what He does. He can forgive your sins. He can cleanse your heart. Maybe you feel defiled. Maybe you feel just far away or crushed by anxiety or fearing what the prospect of the future might bring and you have no hope today. Jesus came to set you free if you will believe. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. Jesus is a rock you can stand on. If you build your life anywhere else, you'll falter. You'll be building on sand, Jesus said. So perhaps we find ourselves today in the midst of deep hurt deep sorrow, deep pain, you need to know that this mighty God cares about you. And that leads me to our next point. This God is calling His people not only to humble themselves, but to display that humility with dependence on Him. And it takes the form of casting your cares upon the Lord. So let's look at this together in verse 7. And there's no break in that sentence, right? So let's take 6 and 7 again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So humble yourselves by casting your cares upon the Lord. You want to know what it looks like? It looks like casting all your burdens and all your cares and all your worries and all your fears upon the Lord. Not taking them on your back. Not taking them on your back like you're some kind of pack animal that's going to carry the load and I'm going to put the world on my back. That's how our backs break. That's how we end up in a nervous breakdown. That's how we realize just how small we are because compared to the world on your back, you were never meant to carry it. But when you cast your cares upon the Lord, that imagery, that casting, He's like, I'm your pack animal. I'm the one you can put the weight on. I'm the one who can carry it. I'm the one who can carry your burdens. I'm the one who can take those fears and deal with the fears in your soul. I'm the one who can take your pain and your sorrow and your discouragement and I will carry you. And you need to know that it's because I care for you. Is that not what verse 7 says? Casting all 
your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now, I used to go to um, the lake often. And as all kids do, right, I used to love taking these little pebbles and rocks and just chucking them in the lake, you know. And pretty soon I'm like, I want to get, like, the biggest rock I can find and see what happens when I throw it in the lake. And so I'm just, you know, pretty soon it's boulders I'm throwing into the lake. And I'm just chucking it. And the lake is just swallowing it up. And I loved it. Brothers and sisters, listen. God would take the boulders of your anxiety, the boulders of your fear, the, the, the stones that you've been collecting and hanging on to. He's saying, cast them on Him. Cast them on Him. Cast them on Him in faith, believing that He's mighty and powerful to deal with them. And you watch what He does in your life. Perhaps you are drowning in anxiety because there is no casting. Perhaps you're paralyzed by fear because there is no casting. Perhaps you've been taking those boulders and just throwing them in the backpack and you're feeling just weighed down. When this God calls you to cast them on Him. And what dad doesn't want to give good things to his kids, Jesus said. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given. Come to Him. Come to Him for the tenth time about that fear, about that worry. It's a, it's a continual casting. This verb has the idea of an ongoing casting. It doesn't stop like, well, I didn't did that thing. I cast that thing that one day. It's every day on your knees casting your cares before the Lord. Have you ever thought that that's what an ongoing relationship with God looks like? He's your daddy. He wants to hear about it. He's your daddy. He wants to help. What dad doesn't want to help his kids? What dad doesn't want to bless his kids? What dad doesn't want to teach and admonish and help? And this dad is a perfect heavenly father. And he'll never fail you. Perhaps you have had a dad that has failed you miserably. This dad will not fail you. He's perfect. Perhaps you feel like nobody cares about you. But this God cares for you, dear friends. This God cares for you. And I want that to sink in a little bit because sometimes we feel like, who's watching Who's seeing me like this? If anybody really knew, if anybody really was watching. Oh, but he cares for you. And when you begin to cast, he begins to carry. And friends, prayerlessness is nothing more than pride. Prayerlessness, it's the opposite of this text, right? When you carry the burdens when you keep the burdens, when you keep getting anxious, you're demonstrating proud heartedness because you're trying to do it as if you are God, as if you're the one who's going to carry all these things, as if you're the one who's going to shoulder the burdens. And how many of us, I, I know I, I do this sometimes. I'm just like, I've, I've got to do this. Prayer will wait. How many of you have been like that before, right? I, I'll do it. And then when you begin to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and you start casting desperately your cares upon him, he lifts you up 
And he shows you what a glorious God who cares looks like. And that's his heart towards you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Ultimately and finally, if you're casting your cares upon the Lord, there's no better place, there's no better security, there's no better comfort to live life than a life that's just depending on God day by day, moment by moment, trial by trial upon the Lord. One writer put it this way. He said, worry is a form of pride because when we... When believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their lives in their own strength. And the only God they trust in is themselves. Is that not true? When we begin to just take it all, we're acting as if we're the ones with the mighty hand and the outstretched arm, right? I got this. I mean, imagine Israel in slavery in Egypt, just like, God, we got this. Burning bush, why don't you just, you know, just chill for a second. We'll take care of it. We've got it from here. No, they were just utterly desperate. They were enslaved. They couldn't help themselves. And that's what Peter is waking up the early church to and saying, listen, you need God every day. Cast the burdens on him and he will show you what it means to live gloriously for Jesus. Jesus once said, are you anxious about your life? Do not be anxious about your life, about what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. Then he said, look at the birds. Look at the, the lilies. Are you more valuable than they? And if God provides for the birds and he clothes the lilies, is he not going to take care of, of you? In that same chapter, he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Today has its own trouble. And you get grace for today. So cast your cares upon the Lord day by day. Deal with today in your casting before God. Truth number three. Wake up to the battle you are in. Wake up to the battle you are in. It's not uh, enough to just humble yourself before God and cast anxiety upon the Lord. You've got to know you've got an adversary. What does verse 8 say? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's a ferocious image. He's reminding us we've got to wake up. Sometimes we're snoozing peacefully when there's a lion at the door. I often watch National Geographic, you know, and, and the best shows are about lions, you know. <laughs> like, that's where all the action's at, you know. And, and you never see these lions, you know, eating uh, from a giant pack of giraffes or something like that. They wait until one kind of slips behind and kind of becomes isolated and looks a little weak. And they go for that one. And they snatch him up. That's the image we see here in Peter. The devil is like a lion and he's roaring. 
He's roaring. You know what roaring's supposed to do? It's supposed to intimidate. It's supposed to terrify. Have you been struggling with fear the past two years? The devil is trying to terrify you. And God would lift you up. And God would show you that the adversary can only roar. And he might bite, but he cannot take your life. Because you are in Christ. And one day you will be raised in glory. Yes, the adversary is out there. That's why he says be awake. Know you've got an enemy. Know you've got an adversary. Know you've got an accuser. Know you've got somebody who's roaring to make you afraid. That's exactly what it says. Be sober. Be clear thinking. Be level-headed. Be watchful. Don't fall asleep. If you were in the lion's den, you would not fall asleep. But you got to know that your God is able to close the lion's mouth. Did we not learn that in Daniel, right? What is Daniel doing? He's thrown into the lion's den and God stops the mouths of lions by an angel. This God knows how to deliver his people from the roaring lion. This God knows how to help in the midst of adversity. But if we do not humble ourselves, come before God, casting our cares upon Him and being awake, then we're just going to get beat down and munched on. And we'll wonder what happened because we were not awake. So the burden that the Lord laid on my heart as I was just praying over this last night, I'm like, Lord, what do you want to tell us? Well, Brothers and sisters, we're in the middle of a battle. You're in the battlefield. You're on the battle zone. And you have to know that this is war. That the devil is not... He, he's taking prisoners. He's, he's roaring. He's attacking. He's doing work. And perhaps he's been doing it in your life. Perhaps you feel like you've come in here today and you're in the jaws of the lion's mouth. You feel like you're just being chomped on and mulled over and, and bitten. And maybe that's showing up at school, kids. Maybe that's showing up in discouragement. Maybe that's showing up in fears about the pandemics. Maybe that's showing up in discouragement. And you don't know where it's coming from. But you need to know there is an adversary and we're in a spiritual battle and there's an answer for us in this passage. Look at verse 9. He doesn't just say, be sober-minded, be awake. You've got an adversary seeking to devour you. But he says, resist him firm in your faith. That's the fourth thing we see in this passage. We're called to bold standing firm in our faith against the opposition of the evil one. And this isn't faith in yourself. This is faith in the Lord. This is the faith in, faith in the Lion of Judah, not the roaring lion who, who persecutes the church. This is faith in King Jesus. What did we sing but with one word He can fell the devil? King Jesus is powerful. King Jesus is mighty. And He can deliver us from the lion's mouth. Resist Him firm in the faith, knowing what? 
Verse 9 says that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced. So this roaring brings suffering in the church, but you need to know that the roaring is only temporary. Satan has a limited time, a limited budget, a limited ability, and our God is an endless reservoir of help for you, dear brother and sister. And maybe you came in today and you're hanging on by a thin thread and you feel like one more roar is going to snap this thing and it'll be all over. And I want to tell you today that in a little while, the suffering will be over for the Christian. In a little while, there will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. Peter is telling the early church that you're not alone in your suffering. The brotherhood throughout the world has experienced this for a little while. But listen, verse 10. After a little while, you've suffered. The God of all grace who has called you. If you're a Christian, He's called you out of darkness. He's called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Verse 10 says. And He will Himself establish, confirm, strengthen, and restore you. This is our God. He's reminding us that one day the suffering will be ended. One day every tear will be wiped from your eyes. One day you will be delivered. So stand firm in the midst of seasons of suffering that are temporary. Stand firm in the dark days. Stand firm in the persecution. Stand firm in the adversity. Stand firm in the conflict. Stand firm when the roaring is echoing in your ears. And it's deafening. Because this God is able to deliver His people and one day He will do it. One day He will deliver you from all pain and all sorrow. And that is not a promise for someone who is without Christ. That's a promise for the church. That's a promise that Jesus purchased. Look, verse 10, one more time. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you, He's telling the church this, to His eternal glory. Now, eternal glory is forever. So compare your temporary suffering to the eternal glory that awaits. And that will put steel in your resolve to stand firm against the forces of darkness. To stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. Behind the conflict, the Bible would teach there's always an enemy lurking to sow division. Behind the difficulty, there is always an enemy seeking to attack. Behind the adversity towards the Gospel, there's a demonic influence. But this God promises that He Himself will restore, confirm, and strengthen you and establish you. Those are all words that say the same thing. 
Vigilantly stand strong in the Lord because He will establish you, He will keep you, and He will bring you all the way home. Romans chapter 8 echoes this sentiment. And Paul, in one of the most beautiful verses penned in verse 37, he says, no, he's considering suffering. He's saying, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. So the God who justifies you in Christ will never let you go. And He will never allow anything to get between the love of Jesus and His people. It's a forever reality. And dear Christian, if you are discouraged today, know that the never-ending, unrelenting, all-satisfying love of Jesus Christ overflows for you to bring you one day to eternal glory where all things will be made new. And perhaps you're here today and you have a proud heart. Perhaps you're here today and you have a hard heart towards God. Perhaps you're here today and you have been doing things on your own and you've been making a mess of things and you're not a very good God. In fact, you've realized that you've been worshiping the idol of yourself. And it's been destroying your life. You realize that, that you've been longing for something. You've been longing for hope. You've been longing for something to change. And God is telling you in this passage, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He's telling you in this passage to come to Him fresh with dependent prayer. And He's reminding you today that there is hope in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That for God so loved the world, He sent His Son into the world to rescue. He sent His Son into the world for proud-hearted people. He sent His Son into the world for people who begin to humble themselves before His mighty hand. He sent His Son into the world to rescue the depressed, to rescue the discouraged, to rescue the fearful, to rescue those who have made messes of their lives. And perhaps you need to come to Him today and admit your need for God afresh. And He has open arms and He says, come to Me. All who are heavy laden and burdened with great stress, great pain, burdened down by your sins, and He will give you rest. He will forgive you. But he resists the proud and the self-sufficient person that says, I don't, I don't need God. And one day, you will be humbled if you seek to go it alone. One day, you will be like King Herod 
who threw Peter into jail. And by the end of chapter 12, Herod gets the praise of men and begins to call himself God. And people are like, the voice of God and not a man. And God cuts him down in his pride. And he's eaten by worms. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Know the love of Christ for you. Know the joy and the sweet blessing of living as a person who humbly seeks God in faith. Let's pray. Father, you know I've been praying for this time and this moment because I know that there are people here far from God. That there are some here who may not even know you. Who may have been awakened. Who may have been experiencing their need. Who may be feeling so lost in themselves, so discouraged, so depressed, so out of touch with these things, and they desperately need them. They desperately need the truth. And they've heard the word that Jesus is like a gentle shepherd who says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those who are wandering through this world without any of the hope that we've laid out that you have laid out in your word. Father, I pray that they would come to you right now. That they would come to you and ask for your help. That they would come to you and, and realize their need. That they would call upon the Lord with humility. And for those of us who have experienced a season, maybe of pride in our life, even as believers, and we're learning afresh what it means to come before you. I pray you would help us. I pray your spirit would blow in powerful ways that would cause the church of God to humble itself before your mighty hand and know that you are able to deliver. And we ask these things in the mighty, majestic name of Jesus. And as Chad comes up, I just... I just want you all to think as we're getting ready to sing this last song. Don't let the work of the Spirit just kind of blow out of your life as you walk out that door. Respond to God now. The Lord may be calling you to repent. The Lord may be calling you to trust Him. And so call to Him. Pray to Him. Come to Him during this song. I, I'm going to be down here and I would love to talk with you. If you need prayer for anything, I will be up here.